0: So as we turn our, our passage tonight um, in perfect timing in Hezekiah because we're in chapter 31 where Hezekiah is has going to put some reforms in place. If you remember, sort of last we left off, he's two months in. The very first thing he wanted to do was obviously cleanse the temple because of all the things that had gone on. And, and then the other thing Hezekiah wanted to do was he wanted to reestablish the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so that's what he did sort of month one. And then he did the feast and, and Passover month two, even though it was later than the normal time that they would have celebrated that. And God was okay with all of it because of the motive of the heart. God, God acknowledged that. And so here we are in chapter 31. I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll go right into verse one. Father, as I'm just joined with my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord, we worship you every day. No matter what you do and don't do, Lord, we worship you. But, Lord, we sit here as just, I'm humbled by the fact that, Lord, you showed yourself so faithful. As you you said in Scripture, build my sanctuary, Lord. You told us to do it, Lord. You raised up the people to do it, the help. And, and, and Lord, the finances, the prayer, everything that needs to be, Lord. We know the next six months are, are Lord, it, again, it seems overwhelming, the finances of all this. But, but God, I know where you guide, you provide. And you're going you're gonna to provide all the finances, Lord. We know that. And, and we're just thanking you. We're just thanking you that we come into this assembly uh, together and recognize that our God, no matter what's going on in the economy, no matter, Lord, what's going on in inflation, deflation, all these things around us, Lord, your hand's not slack. You're, you're, you're faithful. You're still moving, God. And, um, Lord, what a joy it is to be part while so many other... Um, Things are decreasing these days, Lord. You're increasing and you're growing your fellowship here um, and you're discipling and you're saving. And Lord, the baptisms this year, Lord, just, Lord, you just continually amaze me. You just amaze me. You're so good to us. As we open your word tonight, meet us right in your word. Anoint your word, Lord. Lord, we know you're in control and sovereign of all things. And Lord, just as you did for Hezekiah because of a pure heart and a motive to seek you. And Lord, you you brought a reform in. Lord, you you brought a great awakening in. Lord, I pray you do that again. Just one more time, Jesus. One more time before you're coming. We know you're coming soon. But Lord, we know that if, if it was Maybe even five years ago, many of us may not have even been here, Lord. But you saved us. Maybe if it was 20 years ago, some of us wouldn't be here. 40 years ago. But you're so long-suffering. And because of your long-suffering, Lord, people come to salvation. So I pray tonight, save now, Lord. Save now. Whether it's here, whether it's on the radio, those watching online, Lord. There's nothing that you can't do, and your hand is never slack. We believe, as you just taught us last Sunday in the book of John, we believe 98 times, Lord. So, Lord, we're ready to receive what your Spirit has for us tonight. And we pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. And God's people pray. Amen. Amen. I hope it's okay sometimes I get weepy with you that way. It's just, I'm so moved by the Spirit of God. And I know we're all going through this together. And it's just so wonderful to be a part of this, to be a part of the family of God and watch Him move. So faithfully. You know, we're invested in each other's lives. And that's something I'll never take for granted. I'll never take for granted what we have here and what God is doing in each and every heart. In chapter 31, it says Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who was present went out to the cities of Judah. I I want you to see the strong language here. I'm going to sort of pause. Broke. You're going to see cut. You're going to see throw down. This is strong, strong language here in the Hebrew. The idea behind it is God is saying this isn't a like a feeble attempt to remove idolatry, or a feeble attempt of Hezekiah and the people to turn around and say, well, we're going to sort of flirt with our sin, we're going to sort of play with Christianity, or um, you know, at that time with worship unto the Lord. No, it was going to be very matter-of-fact that you couldn't miss it. Broke, cut, threw down. There was no, you know, let me put my stuff on eBay because I have quite a DVD collection. And, you know, I spent all that money, but it's filth and I can't have it in my house. So let me sell it on eBay so other people can buy it. It's burn it all. It's burn it all. That's what we're talking about. That's Hezekiah's heart here. That's what we see from the Lord here. It's like, get rid of the impurities. Get rid of the sin. Just cleanse the temple. Cleanse the heart. Cleanse it all. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, which is in the north, Manasseh, which is in the north, until they had utterly destroyed them all. What are they doing? Removing all public forms of what? idolatry, everything. They're just getting rid of it. Then all the children of Israel return to their own cities, every man to his position here. So this is totally legit and genuine here, reform. And and, and let this be a lesson in in a word to us. This is what real reform looks like in our hearts. It's not a compromise with sin. It's not, well, I'm going to you know, like I said, flirt with this or I'm going to keep this. No, no, no. This is an absolute removal of those things that are unholy and those things that take a place of idolatry in our hearts. It's it's just get rid of it all, right? And I don't think it's changed a few thousand years. I think it's, it's God's heart we would still do the same thing today. We're supposed to be holy and set apart unto the Lord. Amen? So. Uh, That's what we see here. And it says in verse two, and Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise. Do you see that? To serve, to give thanks and to worship, to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. That's what the Christian life really looks like. Right? That's that's what we do. We come to church. We, we what do we do? We serve. Almost, almost all of you, so we're serving in some capacity, right? What do we do? We give thanks. We worship. We praise that way. And, and we praise and give God all the glory. And it says, of the Lord, or to, you know, the idea here is to the Lord. But the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings. Did you catch that? It cost the king something as well. This, he Hezekiah wasn't just, uh, you know, witnessing this from from a distance. Hezekiah was intimately involved as well and committed to the reform in in the nation. You know, that's one of the marks of a, a true leader of the faith is someone that is invested in, and and committed, and they're not just sort of at a distance, going, "Well, no, I just, you know." No, he, he was absolutely engaged in this. We're going to see he's continually engaged, actually. And the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offering, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and set feasts, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support. Um, so what we get here uh, is the idea that they had really let Again, we kind of already knew they had let the temple run down. And now the idea was, I, I find this very interesting. He says, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute to In other words, it wasn't, and I've always found this very fascinating by the Lord. God doesn't need any one of, you, any one of us, right? He, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our help but he finds great pleasure in using us. And whether it's ministering to others, whether it's, it's coming alongside and you, you see somebody that's, that's broken or, you know, you put your hand around them and you cry with them, you bear each other's burdens. He doesn't need anyone. He could speak audibly if he wanted to, or primarily through his word right into their hearts, can he? But he loves to use his people. And what we see here is the idea of um, because of the the neglecting, you know, the things that had happened, the support for the priests and the Levites, they had been neglected. So their ability to survive or to serve the Lord had been compromised because they didn't have the finances or ability or wherewithal. So what we see here is that God's calling the community to be part of this. The community is to be part of the support for the church. The people that attend the church are to be supported that way. You know, um, as far as, you know, we think about things like benevolence or things that people have needs in the church, whether it's a meal train or different things like that. It, it's a privilege for us to come alongside those individuals that need that support and come alongside them. It's also a privilege, and, and we know um, the pastors here and, and those on staff, we we're very grateful for the opportunity to serve the Lord here and to know that we have a house and we have a room and pillows and, and, you know, Jesus didn't have those things, right? We have even more than our Lord has, you know, food to eat and clothes to wear and and we are able to pay our bills because the Lord takes care of us here, right? Right. Um, it's through the support of the community, through the, through the members and the people that attend the church, and and it, it's godly. It's what he has in mind of how it's supposed to work. It's um, it's one of the reasons, as a matter of fact, in Calvary Chapel, when when a man goes out to plant, we don't send him out with a hundred thousand dollars or five dollars. To be to be honest, we don't even send him out with a, a gas gas cart, right? Like, why do we do that? Because we want them to receive the encouragement directly from the Lord that where God guides, He provides. And when He's doing it, you can't miss it because He's going to add, He's going to provide. And, and instead of looking to a man or to a church or to somebody and saying, well, I'm so glad they, you know, they took care of me and sent me out or help. Who do we look to? As, as a, I know as an under shepherd here, unto the Lord. I mean, the first time we had chairs, you know, I remember back in, you know, we had a little, a little uh, blanket kind of apron thing we threw over at, uh, I don't know if it was a music stand or what it was. And, and you know, we just used it as a makeshift pulpit, right? We didn't even have a pulpit. We didn't have the wherewithal to have a pulpit. We didn't have chairs. People brought their chairs in their lawn chairs. And then we, you know, you'd have 30 people just in this old hardware store. And we just sat around and we read the Bible together, just like we're doing right now and it was wonderful. And then the Lord began to add, and next thing you know, there was money that showed up. Oh, we need, you buy chairs. And I'm like, gosh, I guess I do go a little wild, right? I guess people's back get uncomfortable, you know. So maybe that's it. And it's like, then the next thing you know, oh, by the way, the Lord's providing for carpet. Now the Lord's providing, you know, for benevolence to help other people. and And it's just wonderful, it's it's really what it's supposed to look like. It's it's holy, and that's what we see here. And in this particular case, it's drawn out specifically to the priests and Levites that were called by God, and they were to be devoted to the Lord. They were to be devoted. To the Lord, we we have in Calvary Town, We have we call them pastors at hire, right? So we have pastors that work full time um, sometimes, and we still provide a, a stipend or some type of a little bit of a salary for them while they're still working. And then as the Lord provides and we're able, then we can bring them in and they, they get full salary. right? And then there's people that are down here every day that are getting full salaries. And, and it's just, you, you know, like, just like all of you, we all do what we can do, right? It's as where God guides, he provides. And, and that's how it works. So basically that was what was happening here. God is calling this out. He's showing it to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is telling the people, hey, look, we need to contribute support. We need to take care of the priests and the Levites so that they can do what? That they may devote themselves to the law of the Lord. That's the point. As soon as they command, as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in an abundance. Do you see that? There was no grieving of the spirit. There was no, I have to do this. Come on. No, you don't see any of that. There was a joy, a cheerful heart. Why? Because there was reform breaking out. They loved the Lord. They were not worried about what was going on in their particular situation. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And that's what we see here. The first fruits of the grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in the abundance of the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithes of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps. So just just picture that, right? Today, you know, we don't do that, right? There's agape boxes. We might bring in, uh, you know, cash or a check or change or something. But back then they had the animals and grain. So like, can you, you know, an ag- agrarian, you know, an a, a cultural, agricultural society, they're carrying in like barrels of like wheat and just making a heat pile of it. And, and then all the priests and Levites have to figure out where are they going to store all of this and put it. Luckily, not luckily, praise God, he went before them, that Solomon had actually built storage closets. I was just talking with a sister this week about um, storage in in the new building for the church, and, you know, we were were sort of laughing because churches can never have enough storage, right? Any of you that are on staff here or work here have been a part of church, you know we've got things popping out of closets. You open the closet, you kind of got to take a moment, right? Just a read step there right i mean it's done with decency and order but 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 I, what i love about this friends here tonight is this shows us how it works where god guides he provides this is where we get that statement from this is where we adopt this from this was free will this was something that people wanted to do and they were doing it unto the lord there was no conniving there was no manipulation or twisting of hands you didn't walk through the door and somebody said give me your wallet you know there was none of that you know if you don't if you don't give your heap of wheat Jesus is going bankrupt. You don't read that in the scripture. No, people wanted to be part of this. It's what a a yielded heart to the Lord looks like. There was no coercion needed. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. Did, Did you catch that? So how many months is that? Four months. That's a lot of heaps, right? It took you four months to organize the heaps and to put them into heaps. I mean... That's what we're talking about. That is beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord. What they do, they worshipped. And his people, Israel, obedience. You know, there's nothing sweeter. You know, many times Pastor Billy does a lot of the treasure stuff and the board will get together. We go over the finances and we know, okay, Lord, every month we need to, we need to make sure we hit this number, Lord. Whatever you want to do here, but we know we have to hit this number. We're not in that place where I know some some churches are very wealthy and they never have to worry about those things. That's never been us, right? We're, we're, it's beautiful here the way the Lord knows it, because we always know when we're in the will of the Lord and when we're not. It's very, very simple. Very simple here. So as we're praying many times, Lord, okay, and I know Pastor Bill, he'll sit there and you know, I walk by his office. I can see the look on his face even now. As I look at him, he knows what I'm talking we we'll walk by. He's praying, brother. Okay. And then at the end of the month, are we okay? He's like, we're always okay. God, God goes before us. He always meets it. And there's times where all of a sudden, he'll somebody in, in the fellowship, sometimes people don't even fellowship, or somebody will send something in from the radio, or they hear these things, and, and it's enough to just right bring you to tears how do they know? Well, I know how they know. Mm-hmm. The Lord. The Lord puts it on their heart through the Holy Spirit. They just know. And I, and I, 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 you know, I remember my pastor was telling me when he, when he first moved to New York from California, from Costa Mesa, they're, you know, barely getting by. They didn't even have a, he didn't even have a job yet. And, and he needed to pay rent. And he was, you know, it was really in the beginning days, he's 40 something, 40, almost 40 years ago. <laughs> He's just praying, praying, and he's like, okay, Lord. He didn't say a word to anybody at the fellowship. He didn't want anybody to be worried about that stuff or know about it and nothing like that, you know. And he just goes out to his mailbox. And what do you think sitting in there? A check for $500, the exact amount he needed to pay his rent and buy groceries that week. And I'm just like, we've read books. We've heard of stories and, and testimonies over the years, you know, in London, and 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 you know, different men that you know, God has, has done that with, and it, it it's just and women, it's just so true how we, where God guides, He provides. It says then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. What's that tell us? He doesn't just say, "Man, there's a lot of good heaps here. I guess we're okay." No, you know what he does? He has accountability. He has accountability. You know, we have an accountant that's actually on our board. He's a CPA. He looks at that. We actually have a compliance person that checks the, the accountability and the bookkeeping. We have someone that audits us once or sometimes twice a year that doesn't fellowship here, that doesn't belong in any of this area. We have someone that comes in and does the counting separate to make sure that what's deposited meets. We do all these things to be above contestation. So that first Thessalonians talk' we're above the parents of evil, right? And accountability is a big deal. We should be able to be accountable for God's finances. It's expected. It's expected from the Lord. It's expected from you to want the place that you fellowship, to make sure they're doing things with the finances heartily unto the Lord, righteously. I've always said, if you ever want to see the books You're always welcome to come into the church office. You can see the budget. You can see whatever happens there. Nobody's ever insulted. We actually encourage it. We've only had two people in five years. And both people that looked at it said, wow, look what the Lord does with. And we're like, it's open. It's transparent. You can see everything. And We get that from these passages. It should be that way in our own personal lives as well, shouldn't it? Our finances in our home should be that same way. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring in the offerings unto the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is a great abundance. You just cannot give God. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord. Again, Solomon had already done that with the temple, the temple that was built there. And then they faithfully brought in the offerings of the tithes, and they had dedicated things. The Coniah, the Levite, had charge of them. And Shimei, his brother, was the next. Jehiel, Azariah, Nathan, Ashel, Jeremoth, Jozebed, Eliel, Issamachiah, Mathah, Mahath, and Beniah were overseers under the hand of Coniah and Shimei, his brother, at the commandment of Hezekiah the king, and Azariah the ruler of the house of God everything was done with decency and order. Nothing was going to get by here, Hezekiah. He wasn't going to allow that to happen on his watch. He appointed these overseers to make sure all the financial dealings and everything was done appropriately. Again, 1 Corinthians 1440, everything done with decency and order. And, and look at the detail he goes in. And I'm always amazed. God recorded their names this is important. Maybe somebody that's sitting here tonight, you, you do the finances, you do the bookkeeping, maybe you help out in different ways here with things. And you may totally be behind the scenes. You, you may never see them. You may never know all the people that do the counting or the different things that happen or, or, or all of that. And yet they're faithful and they're never seen by another human being. Nobody knows what they do it all unto the Lord. Just very quiet and do it to God. But God knows who they are. And God records their name and it's it's important to God. God it's so important that the Holy Spirit kept it for us. Kor, the son of Imna, the Levite, the keeper of the East gate, was over the free will offerings to God. so we see that there was a required tithe at that time that's certainly not a new covenant teaching, but at that time we saw that and then there's a free will offering. we know in the New Testament New Covenant we are not regulated under the 40 percent that the temple would have had because of temple tax and everything else that would come up to 40% of our giving. We do, we're not under that today for you and I, under the new Testament in Corinthians, it teaches it's a free will offering whatever the Lord, right? The first fruits we give unto the Lord, we give back, but it's, it's not. So they had to, in their administration, they had to have two different people, someone that did the temple tax and all those kind of things. And then somebody that was in charge of the free will offering. And they were for two different buckets, so to speak that way. For the free will offering to the Lord, to distribute the offerings to, of the Lord and the most holy things. And under him were Eden, Miniman, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, Shechaniah, his faithful assisted in the cities of the priests to distribute allotments to their brethren by divisions to the great as well as the small. <laughs> Besides those males from three years old and up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division. Everybody was engaged. Everybody was engaged in the church. And to the priests who were written in the genealogy, according to their father's house, and to the Levites for 20 years and old, and according to their work by their divisions, and to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and their daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness. Also for the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields, of the common lands of their cities. Remember those cities of refuge they were getting? They didn't actually own any personal land like the other tribes did. The other tribes were given an inheritance from God in the promised land. The, the Levites and the priests, they, the, the Levites didn't get anything, but the priests instead they were giving these these areas and then those areas were to be dedicated to cities of refuge where people could go Um, if they were um, wrongfully accused of something or uh, to avoid a kinsman redeemer type of situation. And in every single city, there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests. to all who were listed by genealogy. So what this is talking about is all those that served the Lord, there was somebody that was responsible for giving out what their their um well we would say their their pay is or their compensation in some capacity today that that's what that's how they were doing it so basically it was all it was all done that way thus hezekiah did throughout all of judah and he did what was good and right and true please underline that in your bible what was good right and true before the lord his god that can be found out god is a god of absolutes there is not relativism with the Lord. There's absolutes. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. That's in our New Testament, we would read Colossians 3.23. Do all things heartily, what? Unto the Lord, right? Not unto men, right? It's that same New Testament concept and teaching here. Chapter 32, Okay. You would think at this point, he, Hezekiah, and the people, they're having a mountaintop experience, right? You would think, man, things are good. Kick back a little bit. Just enjoy what the Lord's doing in that revival and, 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 you know, that great awakening there. This is awesome. Except we all have an enemy. And he doesn't sleep nor slumber. You know, he's a liar, Uh, And and he's not going to take a break here. And so we're going to see the spiritual attack happen right now. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, the enemy, Satan is going to use this king to come against Hezekiah at this time when he's doing everything right by the Lord. This is important. This is sort of a read step for everybody here tonight. This is one of those things we need to understand. It's not wrong to assume that when you're serving the Lord, that there's going to be an attack, a spiritual attack. It's not wrong to assume that when you're in the will of the Lord, just because something happens that we would determine as negative, or we think is um, specifically not going our way or coming against us, it doesn't mean you're not in the will of the Lord. Because I think sometimes we, when, when something like that happens in, in our lives, when we get attacked spiritually, we, our initial reaction is, what did I do, God? What, what, what did I do wrong? Why, why is this happening to me? And it actually, as we just read here, has nothing to do with it, does it? It's actually because Hezekiah is actually serving the Lord and he's in the will of the God that we see the spiritual warfare happen. It's not because he did anything wrong. It's actually because he was doing everything right. That's important too. So we see here that he, he comes and he enters Judah and he camped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Now we talked about Assyria and just how wicked they were. The, the evil things they would do, you know, hanging the skin up of the places and, you know, decapitate, decapitating people and just leaving everybody, women, children, everyone for dead. And, and you know, using that as a sign to the surrounding nations To say, this is what happens when you come against Assyria. This is what's going to happen to you. And so just, I mean, skinning a body alive and just terrible, terrible things you can read about. Wicked, wicked, heartless. And so here's this man that's coming against. Remember, he's already taken the northern tribes. He's already occupied that area and cross-mingled the Assyrians with the captives that he took out and brought them to a different area of the uh, tribes from the north. Only the remnant that's left there is still there. And so now he's coming against Judah. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs, which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself and built up the walls that were broken and raised up uh, to the towers and built another wall outside. So this is really serious. Not only they have one wall, but now they're building another whole wall outside of that first wall to protect themselves, to defend themselves. So he also repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he sent the military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them an encouragement saying, and circle this in your Bible, underline it, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Do you, do you know how important this is? This is incredibly important and foundational to your faith, especially in these last days we're living. He is telling every one of us, and this is not just something he was telling Hezekiah, he's telling all new covenant believers be strong, be courageous, because your emotions can betray you. Our fear can betray us and get a, a hold of us, and, and we could begin to think differently or not correctly about the situation that's at hand about the situation of salvation in the earth, we could say, oh, it's all over. It's too late now. And we become indifferent or despondent. We no longer care about a brother or sister. We, as the Bible and Scripture says, that in the last days their hearts would grow cold. That, that's what we're talking about here, an indifference, not not caring for a brother or sister. It, we see it all the time now. I mean, cities, people just go up and harm people for no reason. Just at a college in New York, uh, in Poughkeepsie, somebody just went into the, they were at the Marriott and for Parents Day or, or whatever that is, We Parents Weekend or whatever they call it. And they went in and the father's there with his wife and the kids and they just went to visit the kid at college. You know, he just got there, parents weekend. And some man just comes in off the street and just shoots the father and then proceeds to walk out. Like, because in New York, what's happening right now, you know, I'm from New York, so I, I still have family, so I have friends, we have a lot of people there we know. New York is becoming very, very indifferent as far as uh, the city in some of those areas because of the offenses, the, the cutting back of crime, or the cutting back of police, the defunding of police, the, the increase of crime. You know, you can go in, there are corporations now, Rite Aid and other ones like that. I, I can't remember if it was specifically Rite Aid, but other farms they're saying when people are, there's nothing you can do to stop them. So just, just go ahead. I mean such lawlessness it, it, it's, it's happening. So in these last days he's telling us don't be afraid though. Don't walk around in a constant state of fear. Be courageous. Don't don't be afraid to walk out of your house. There's still work to be done for the kingdom of God and he wants to use you. Right? He wants to use you. So don't don't be afraid that way. And then the next thing he says is and and don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Do you know what dismayed mean? Dismayed means it means Trusting in what you see with your eyes. Dismayed is when you see something with your eyes, it looks overwhelming. Or you look at it and say, oh, there's no hope here. We're hopeless. Or man, these last days we're living in, yes, they're evil, but you know, there's not, it's, you know, it's all, it's too late. There's nothing that can be done. You know, you you just filled with anger, fear, envy, hope, all those things like, oh, remember the good old days, you know, when it was 40 years ago, 50 years, we could, you know, it all starts to take us. He says, don't be dismayed. Don't trust what your eyes are showing you, because we can't see what God is doing. We can't see how He's maneuvering and aligning everything to His perfect plan and purpose. And if we're not careful, we'll rely on our sight, our comprehension, our hearts and understanding. And we might very well step right out of the will of God. Just like Peter almost did when he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter was a believer. Peter was an apostle. But Peter, just like you and I, we can sometimes hear that other voice. He says that Satan appears like an angel of light sometimes. It could even seem well-meaning. And yet because he didn't want him to be crucified, right? He says, no, you're not going to die that way, Jesus. Well, that wasn't the will of the Father, was it, Lo? It was that he came to die. So if we're not careful, right, that's what we learn here, we're going to trust what we see, and that can actually lead us out of the will of God, even though it sounds good, or it feels good, or we think it's good. So this is a big encouragement here. He says, before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude, he says, not just the king, but for all the people that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Wow. There are more with us than with him. How many times do we read of the prophets? And I know we haven't gone through all the prophets or many of the prophets here together. We will as we're making our, our way through line by line, verse by verse, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We're making our way through. But we read prophet, the prophets. We've read about Elijah, right? I'm the only one, Lord. Remember that? He's having that moment, that crisis of faith. And God says, I have a number of people, a number upon number and a multitude of people here. And Elijah's like, where are they? I don't see them. Elijah, don't be dismayed. Joshua, don't be dismayed. You're going to walk around Jericho and the walls are going to fall. You're not even going to have to lift out your sword. Don't be dismayed. Christian, friend, don't be dismayed. Don't be fearful. God commands it. He doesn't want us to be afraid. Be courageous. Be strong. Hold on to what you know to be true in Scripture. Hold on to the fact you know Christ is coming. And serve Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and others. And leave all the consequences to God. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That's what our Bible teaches us. We can can say it. But if we let it penetrate our hearts. I think that's a good word for us today. Because we need to hear the same encouragement. That God is giving to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is giving to his people. Right? Verse 7. So he then goes on to verse 8. With him an arm of flesh. But with us the Lord our God. That's the answer. It's not about a man. It's about God. He will help to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah, the faith and strength that is needed today. Right? Friends, we're on God's side. We're on God's side. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. But he and all the forces with him laid siege against Latius. To Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all of Judah who are with Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Israel, in what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? So what's happening? He's coming in and he's trying to whisper in their ear. He's trying to make them afraid, right? Satan sends in one of his own and says, Well, if they're not going to initially be afraid of Assyria, because Hezekiah just gave that word. Now, instead of going to Hezekiah, I'll go directly to the people. And I'll start trying to instill fear in all the people in the nation of Judah. And if I do that, then maybe they'll overthrow Hezekiah and Satan wins. That's what they think is going to happen. Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst saying the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Friends, was that what he was doing? Or was he telling them to rely and trust God, not be dismayed, not be afraid, trust the sovereign God. We read our New Testament. There's times I stand up here and I say, look, I don't care how bad things get today. Trust your God. Trust my God. Trust our God. We can re- we can count on it every single time. And it doesn't matter what we're seeing. It doesn't matter the political equation. Look, I'm going to tell you right now. I can minister just as easily under communism as I can a republic. <gasps> what did he just say? As though China wasn't leading in born again Christians and those coming to Christ in an underground church. Did we forget our history? Do we think that the government and the politics actually have anything to do with what we're here to do? Boy, I'll tell you, you got the social justice gospel and you got the politicization, I just butchered that word, of Christianity. It's a false gospel. I'm gonna call it like it is. It's a false gospel. Your Bible doesn't tell you to do that. He didn't write it in any of the New Testament. You don't see it in the books. As a matter of fact, the only thing you see is be a good citizen. Pay your taxes. Do the right thing. Honor God and God alone. Vote. Vote with the Holy Spirit. Don't don't take everything I'm saying and go, I'm not going to vote now. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that in spite of who's sitting in that white house or that oval office or it doesn't matter what government or governor i have i have jesus christ Amen. i got all i need and i got the bible yes. and when they try to take that from me i got it written on the tablet of my heart and as long as i can speak and breathe me and god are a multitude what can i do in the will of the lord do we believe that yes. Do we believe that? Do we understand that? Or have we become so distracted and and we think it's our job to save America? I'm not trying to save America. I'm trying to save with Jesus Christ through the gospel souls in America. I know that's going to upset some people. Again, I'm not saying don't vote. You have a responsibility. You are entrusted in this country as a republic. You are given the privilege to vote, the right to vote. Do it. Do it. There's no excuse. Do it, every one of us. But I'm not looking for a political savior. Hezekiah wasn't looking for a political savior to get them out of this situation. He had the Lord. Has not this, because this guy's basically lying against him, you know, has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places, his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, you shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Did God not command that in the temple in Jerusalem? Or was that Hezekiah's idea? Who's he really attacking? God. Who do you think our Congress and these men and women that stand in these Ivory towers and these halls in a senate, where the T- Ten Commandments are risen, you know, written. Who do you think they're really attacking when they try to overturn or try to, you know, inflict abortion and make it a rule of the land, or they try to turn around and redefine marriage? Is it is it really is it really you and I? I mean, I know they call us terrorists as Christians, but but is it really us that they're really after? Or is it really their rejection of Jesus Christ? If we're not careful, we can become desensitized for that, get so upset with them and not realize this is just a move by Satan. And you know what? They need salvation too. And next thing you know, we're fighting a political advocate instead of trying to reach them with the Bible and with Jesus. This is why I say, be careful. This is what's happening now. This is the new politicalization of uh, Christianity. Do you not know that what I am and my fathers have done to all the peoples of these other lands were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? And that's true. I wouldn't disagree. They were false gods, pagan gods. Of course, pagan gods can't save you. Who was there among all the gods of the nations that my fathers utterly destroyed? Assyria saying this, the guy from Assyria, that could not deliver his people from my hand, that your God, now he's talking about the Lord, should be able to deliver from my hand. That's the difference. God's not like any of the other lowercase g gods. He's the one true God. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him. What are they doing? Sowing doubt. For no God of any nation or kingdom will be able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my father's. This is a political move here. Do you see it? It's a conquest. It's just a political move. Do we have to trust that and believe in it? Does he have to fight back in a political way? No. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? The point is, is faith is only as good as what you place your faith in and whom you place your faith and trust in. And if you place your faith in anyone but Jesus Christ, you're wasting your time. You're going to be disappointed in life. Because they're going to fail you. My Lord, my Savior Jesus will never fail you. He will never fail you. Now what happens? He turns his attention from the people. Now he's going to directly blaspheme God. And we're going to see once you start, he's amping it up, right? He's amping the, the enemy, the devil. He's, he's really just, I don't know if this man's demon possessed or what's up, but he's really amping it up now. And you watch how God is going to handle this for his glory in his name. Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah, blaspheming him. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the God of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew, trying to trouble the people, to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them. That's what Satan's trying to do, friends. If there's somebody here tonight that you're, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling troubled, you're feeling afraid. And it's because you're concerned about what you're seeing and what's happening today around you in the, the world that looks like it's out of control and all those things. You're being, you're believing the lies from Satan. I mean, literally it's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to ask you all a very simple question tonight. Look at me with your eyes for one minute, please. Is Jesus Christ not on the throne? Is He not sovereign? Yeah. He doesn't take a vacation, nor does He sleep, right? Yeah. So what's going on? What, what, are we, what are we running from? Who are we running from? Why are we afraid? He, 1,500 different prophecies throughout Scripture. You can, you can read all of them. And not one time has He ever broken His promise. Not one time has He never been faithful to His prophecy. And all he's ever asked you and I to do is love him and trust him. And the trust part is more for us as we're walking out our faith step by step. We need that. Otherwise, what begins to fill our hearts is doubt. And the antidote to doubt is trust in Jesus Christ. Reading the word of God. Encouragement. And sometimes that's why... If you're worshiping the Lord is a wonderful way to cast out that anxiety. If you're feeling anxious, and I mean, at, at times we all do. We, we're, let's be transparent. We all do, right? We have things that overwhelm us. They bother us. They they, they can come before us. A surgery, different, you know, things like that in our lives. Finances, those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're human, right? We're human. Let's not pretend. But at the end of the day, we know that in the moment we start feeling that emotion, it's right about that time our Bible should be opening, we should, reading passages like this, that just are meant to encourage us, to uplift us, and then right about that same time, ah, within five minutes of that, our hands should be lifted and worshiping the one true God that's about to take away those lies and snares that the devil just put before you. And he says, take every thought captive. You rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not for you. It's got, you just, that's nothing for you. You don't touch that. That's not yours. It's not your baggage to carry around. It's just lies from the pit of hell. And the sooner we learn that, it's just about the sooner we get about God's business. So he goes on to say, that's what they're trying to do. It's the attack of the enemy. He's he's frightening them, troubling them, that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem, again, blaspheming, and against the gods of the people of the earth that work with men's hands. And now because of this, King Hezekiah We'll read the next few verses. We'll stop here tonight. Now, because of this King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, right, Second Kings, you get a full account of this. We read that already. And then this is talking about Isaiah from the prophet, you know, in the book of Isaiah, the son of Amos, he prayed and cried out to heaven. And I love this man, this, I love this. Then the Lord sent an angel. He doesn't say the angel of the Lord, capital A. He doesn't say I sent a million angels. I sent one, I sent one, one angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. He just destroyed the strongest military on the earth at that time, which was Assyria. Babylon hasn't yet come into power. As a matter of fact, not too many years from now, Babylon will come as a sort of a vassal state under Assyria until finally they uprise and take over Assyria. But at this point, they're, they're just lying in the wing. The, Assyria is the strongest empire at that time. And God sends a singular, doesn't say an archangel. He doesn't say it's a cherubim or a seraphim. I mean, we're not even pulling rank here. He's like, uh, Sam, why don't you go down there? Take care of this. Little old me? Okay. You know, I'm having a little jest with this because I really want us to understand this. That's how powerful our God is. That That's what you and I have. I know sometimes things are difficult because God may do things, you know, man's plans, but God is the one that authors the steps, right? And and I know sometimes we wrestle with God. We wrestle with God with those things. I wrestle with God with those things. But never once do I doubt his capacity or ability to be able to take any situation and completely change it or completely just eradicate that evil. I mean, just think about what he's going to do. I actually don't want us thinking too much about the Great Tribulation. We're not going to be here. But do you realize the cosmic disturbances that are going to come? That a quarter of the population, we just hit eight, what is it? How many people? Eight billion? I think I just saw recently. Does that sound right to you? Eight billion? We used to be at seven, seven uh, point 7.14 billion. I think that was about um, five years ago. And then I remember seeing it was like point. Five, eight billion, and that was 2017, something like that. 2017, if I remember the chart in my head. And then now I think we're we're up to eight billion. A quarter of that population. Just in the first judgments that are pouring out, two billion people. Just let that just sink in for a minute. That God's wrath is going to be poured out. And it's going to cause vegetation to die. It's going to cause the air to get, you know, to be changed. Because everything is going to change that way. He's, all the, he's controlling all of it. He's holding everything, the moon, the stars, gravity. Everything is in order because we have a sovereign God. And yet you and I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow if there is a tomorrow. I mean, don't we sit back and think about that and go, what are we doing? It's a crisis of faith. And God knows. He loves us. He knows when we go through those. And all he wants to do is draw us closer in, closer in, and go, I got you. I got you. Remember, we're his children. You're his his children. He loves you. He just wants to draw you in in those times of, of loneliness, those times of fear, those times of uncertainty and doubt, those health scares and crises financial crises, scares, worrying about our children, grandchildren. And he wants, he just wants us to know, I am better equipped, this being God, and I love the people you love far more than you do because I created them and it matters to me. Every single soul. He just wants everyone of us to understand that. And, and so he doesn't lay out this grandiose plan here. He sends an angel, one, who cut down the strongest nation and the leader and the captain in the camp and the king of Assyria, not and the king, but in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. How can he explain this to the king? You just can't. It's supernatural. One angel shows up and destroys the entire army. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all the others that guided him on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord of Jerusalem in presence to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations thereafter. Hmm. We'll read next week, if the Lord should tarry. We'll go on in verse 24, and we'll pick up the rest of that uh, just i don't know 10 12 maybe 20 verses whatever it is i think it's uh, verse 24 all the way to verse 33 so we'll read the rest of that uh next week if the lord should tarry um looks like we'll probably have uh two more wednesdays in the book of second chronicles by where we finish tonight okay and then we'll begin the book of ezra so i hope this is an encouragement for all of us here tonight um Again, I I don't want to presume to know what everybody's going through in this room. But I know one thing. Your God loves you. You and God are a multitude. And He can't wait to bless you. He's just looking for you to put your faith and trust in Him. He's the Ancient of Days. You know, we get that from um, the book of Daniel, right? Four times in Daniel it says He's the Ancient of Days. It's, it's no different, um, you know, in our New Testament, we have Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. I, I think about that whenever I have those moments, probably like you have those moments, is anything impossible with God? Things are impossible for man, but nothing is impossible for God. Amen?